Welcome back to Hopefully Somebody Knows. I'm Scott Finholm. This is the podcast where I, as a dad, interview other dads and experts that I respect to learn a bit more about the world and how to be a better father myself. This episode is a follow-up to our last one, continuing the conversation with Sean McFarlane. Sean, as I mentioned in the last episode, is a dad of three girls, including twins, and is a money manager by trade. In this episode, we move a bit away from strictly parenting topics to more of a discussion about what's going on in the world, the current state of the financial markets as of early 2019, when and how the next bear market will happen, automation and how it's impacting the economy, and the idea of guaranteed minimum income. We do spend a bit of time talking about guns and talking about the president. Can't avoid those topics. And it sounds serious, but we do crack a few jokes throughout, so it's not all deep and heavy. Enjoy this part two with Sean McFarlane. All right, so we're back with Sean McFarlane. One of the things that we talked about wanting to talk about is guns. And it's something that I've talked about in the past and I'm very passionate about sort of figuring out as a rule. So let's start from a parenting perspective maybe. Yeah. Like what's your take on guns in the home with kids? Um, and also, do you have any kind of, like, is there any conversation about, hey, if you're going to go play at Susie's house, let me, you know, figure out if they've got a shotgun on top of the fridge or whatever, yeah. right? Where do you come down on this? Yeah, well, so first of all, I have to say, I grew up in a household that did not have guns in the house. I did have friends whose parents did some hunting and might have had them. Um, and we don't have guns in the house now. And frankly, I'm personally, I would say, even maybe a little bit uncomfortable when I am around guns. Have I shot guns? Yes, I have. Rifles and shotguns and some skeet and things like that. Um, But I'm always a little bit wary just because, you know, in my life, I've never really felt threatened and I've never felt the need to have a gun. I've never been, my family's never been threatened and I might think differently if that ever happened. Um, but for me, you know, I've seen a lot more stories about the, da- you know, the damage that guns can do to kids. So I've never really felt like, wow, you know, my life experience tells me that they're not necessary in the home, right, with little kids. Mm-hmm. And they can, in fact, be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, with all of that said, I've mentioned before that I'd like to think of myself as being a pragmatist. And the fact of the matter is, is in our country, there's a lot of guns. And there's no way that I envision in the next hundred years a situation where there's less guns than there are today. Really? Yeah. I just think it's unlikely. I think the culture of the country, um, the way that so many people feel about the Second Amendment and having guns, I just think the likelihood of us doing what Australia did, right, where they were a gun society that went to not, I just, I don't see it happening. Now, granted, we can all hope. Right. Maybe there's this. But my theory is that, you know, with the way that, you know, the way that the country is geographically and with borders, there's probably always going to be guns coming into the country. And I, you know, as much as I don't like them personally, there is to me something to be said of if you ask people to get rid of guns, it's probably going to be the bad people that end up with them. Right. Yeah. And um, now, does that mean even in that situation, I would still happily get rid of all the guns because I I still think, hey, we're going to be in an environment where the police and the military have them. And does it mean that people could never get robbed and be robbed at gunpoint? No, it doesn't. And that's the hard part about this debate is like most things in life. These are nuanced discussions and whatever policy decision that you pursue, um, 
the answer, that whatever you pursue, there's going to be negative ramifications of that decision. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone can go in feeling like, hey, there's one answer that's sort of bulletproof, not to use that word, but <laughs> there isn't, right? right. I mean, um, it's just it's not going to happen. So, you know, in terms of, you know, obviously we live in a place where there's probably not a ton of guns in the neighborhood, yeah, no. right? We're living in a pretty liberal city and a pretty mm-hmm. wealthy neighborhood and not mm-hmm. a ton of people do. But I'm sure some people, probably more than we think, a few of our have them. Yeah. So well, the only thing that I've said to my kids is, you know, I'd prefer you to never be around guns because, again, there's, I think that only bad things can probably happen if you are. But if you are, you need to learn that, um, you know, be absolutely respectful about the dangerous power that these things wield. Yeah. And when in doubt, you need if you ever see one, there should be absolutely an adult involved immediately. Yeah. <laughs> because otherwise, this, these things can't be used for any good whatsoever. Yeah. I totally agree with your stance. Yeah. And, and, and this is what we talked about a little bit before, is that sometimes you get into the echo chamber of, you know, sort of, wealthy educated liberal mm-hmm. you know seattle right yeah and we're like yes yeah yeah let's pat ourselves in the back there are a lot of people who believe that the second amendment is important to being an american <laughs> that um guns are their right that there's a responsibility to protect yourself in case the mm-hmm. government were to do something to you know that we have precedent historically for the people owning guns etc the, the, the nearly religious component of it mm-hmm. is the part that I feel like I'm, to your point about we'll never be able to figure this out. That's the part I struggle with because I feel like it's kind of codified in the Constitution, which is like, by God, I'm going to hang on to these guns. Yeah. But is there ever going to, let me say it differently, when Las Vegas happened. Mm-hmm. So I told you, sorry, we were in Vegas when yep. that all went down. I'm like, this is the time. This is an audience that had traditionally, historically, and you know, cliche to some extent or stereotyping that a country music audience would be more of a gun-friendly audience. This, of all people, to have that happen to them will be the time that will be the tipping point. Do you believe that there will be, at some point be a tipping point, a school shooting, a something that will happen where finally some people will kind of wake up and say no? Or are you saying like, nah, we probably just need to accept that like this is always going to be a thing in, in America and we just need to educate our kids of like... Yeah. Well, so I would say is, do I think there will be a tipping point? No, I don't. Because you would think if there was one, like how many kids need to die before there is one, right? And and every, I mean, it just it hasn't happened, and there's been fifty of them. I mean, it's the sad one of the saddest things known is to feel like each one of these you become more and more disempowered to do anything about it. Now, what I would say though is, a majority of Americans want control some control or limits right. on gun ownership it's like 90 percent yes right and right? yet yeah. none of this can get passed through congress in any meaningful way and yeah. to me eventually there will be a point where there is i think more i do believe there will be a, there will eventually be some changes mm-hmm. and i think we should all fight for those changes no question in my mind mm-hmm. i think many even nra owners want responsible mm-hmm. gun you know like want want to make sure that you know hey they, they these like high powered weapons and like, like you can't have a tank in your house right? right so we all agree that there's some limits yeah. to the amount of damage a weapon should be able to I do think, like there's a guy yeah. in montana who's yeah. got a gun safe yeah. He has to hunt on his property. Yeah. He likes to hunt with his kids. He's respectful mm-hmm. of his weapons. Like, f- I'm fine with that. Yeah. That guy's cool. Like, I have no problem with that guy at all. Like, I'm not trying to... The idea is, like, we don't want to necessarily take the guns that are well-maintained and secured and taken care of by adults. It's like, I remember one time, I literally walked into a house. It was back in the day when I was, like, uh, 
It was me and my buddy Steve, and we were looking at apartments. And it was over on Queen Anne. And we walked into this apartment, and this guy, I don't know what he did, I think it was a security guy, mm-hmm. had a revolver just sitting on his microwave. And he had two little kids. And literally, I was like, even at 20 nothing yeah. years old, I was <laughs> like, one of these kids can fucking climb on this counter and shoot all of you. Yeah, it happens and then all the like, time. That's the stuff that scares yeah. me. That's the stuff that frightens me. But one of the things I always think about too, and this is a total sidebar, but like there's this analogy of, you know, when you're behind a, a semi and there's that metal bar that hangs down behind the actual trailer with like the red and white stripes. So like if you were to run into the trailer, you would hit that bar and not have the yeah. back of the trailer run into your... And it was some actress hit a, a semi and died. And then like the next day, Congress said, all trailers have to have this thing on. The end. Yeah. It was done. And yet for some reason, we can't have an intelligent, rational discussion about, I, you know, I can use my thumbprint on my phone to, uh, to unlock it. Yeah. My computer can see me and unlock based on my face. And yet for some reason, the idea of like smart guns or some way to like have some additional safety precaution that only you can use your gun or what have you. These are just for some reason non-starters. Yeah. Yeah. And that's frustrating, right? I do believe that, again, that will change over time when... You know, and this is why but you can't just passively let it happen. This is why like, people need to become more active. I mean, everyone knows that one of the reasons why it hasn't happened is because the, the people that have, the, you know, based on voters, right, there are people where the gun is the single most important issue. Why is that? I don't know. I, you know, I, it's, they, their life experience tells them that be, the right to having a gun is more important. The, 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 you know, the thought that they might lose their guns is the single greatest travesty that could ever happen to them. And for the people that generally believe in gun safety laws and regulations around that, that tends to be the seventh or eighth most important issue. Yeah. So that that group that that's their most important issue wields more power. I do think, though, that that issue for the more liberal on that show, I do think it's rising in importance. Yeah. I do think it is with every child death and with, the, you know, and again, it's sad just to talk about it in, the, in, this, in these terms, right? right, right? right but it, I, I, think yeah. it's a, I think it's accurate, and I do think eventually it'll become a, a top three issue, and we'll be able to, I do think there will eventually be a swing towards legislation that limits um, you know, again, I'm not talking about massive changes. Right. That's part of the problem is, okay, so let's say you limit the number of rounds or you limit the type of guns people can have. It does, it's not going to stop the number of, you know, deaths or suicides or the, you know, the negative sides. But in my, in my mind, is like something that's a little better than what we have is better than nothing. Well, kind of and we should work towards about, that. Right? Yeah. Like, like the whole theory, like the, yeah. the through line of what you talked about is keep it simple, small changes, small adjustments. Yeah, because I, I think we're largely incapable of making huge changes yeah. unless there's like a big technological breakthrough. Right. So when in doubt, you push for little things and moving things in a direction that's a little better than what it was last year. Yeah, so like Washington, you have to be 21 to buy a gun. Yeah. There's a waiting period. There's We instituted a series of things that are semi-related, all gun-related, but not explicitly all the same. Yeah, and it passed pretty easily, right? Yeah, and even in a state which has, a, I mean, you know. The east side. The east side, which, yeah. you know, so... I think that says something, and I think a lot more states will probably do that over time. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's a good thing. And and I think that um, and again, you know, the, the thing that I get sort of angry about is sort of this this whole, you know, for the for the people that believe that there should be no limits on guns, mm-hmm. is this this thing that always comes up, which is, you know, this is just the first step towards taking the guns away completely. Right. Right. And I just don't buy the slippery slope argument because uh. again, I'm a pragmatist. 
I think better is better than worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Move things a little bit in one direction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I, I think the Second Amendment is too embedded in the culture of the country. And and the great one of the great things about our country is it's always a pendulum that sort of swings back mm-hmm. and forth. And we always have a tendency to move things towards the middle. Yeah. So I'm not worried about this going off in some crazy tangent where, we're like, the government's forcing people to give up their guns. I just don't see that ever happening. Well, it seems like, I can't remember the quote, but somebody said at some point, I actually looked this up at some point, it was like, you know, generally the Americans end up doing the right thing. It may take yeah. a little while yeah. to get there, right? So um, let's talk more, you mentioned being a pragmatist, let's come back to real world yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Everything went absolutely sideways in December. Yeah. You write wonderful summary <laughs> emails that are my favorite thing to get about what's going on in the world. What's going on in the world, Sean? Um, yeah, I laughed because to some friends I said, if you read the financial press, clearly what's going on is we should all go run for the cliffs and <laughs> jump off, right? And, and for anyone that knows me knows that, you know, in terms of the way that I look at the world and investing in general is, you know, I believe that most people should have a much longer time horizon than the way the, the press looks at the investment world, which is everything is a day-to-day basis and everything is usually painted with a... Um, with a negative brush. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm very careful to say that because, you know, like I said, I I don't want it to come across that, you know, my harping on the financial media is at all similar to the way that our current administration harps on the on the press. Because my it's a totally different connotation. Um, you know, I do believe that the you know the media's job is to report things and to pay attention to things and to ask tough questions and all that mm-hmm. other stuff. Mm-hmm. I just believe that frequently the financial media tends to focus on the negative because it generates more eyeballs than it, than it does to talk about progress and mm-hmm. and success around the world. It's not not always very interesting. Well, is it but, that you know financial markets work on a daily basis and the financial market. Here's what happened in the Dow today. Here's what happened in the Nasdaq yeah. today. Yeah. And then the close of that or the intraday change on that is such an easy thing to report and therefore to paint a negative picture on versus stepping back. And how long has the, the bull market been basically? For 10 years, roughly. Right. Yeah. There's no stories ten, about yeah. a 10-year yeah. bull market. Yeah. Right? It's just that the Dow, 300 points, 200 points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that part of it, do you think, in the financial media? Yeah, I, I do think that's a big part of it. And, and we're, again, this is habits. Like the financial media's habit is to talk about what happened today and mm-hmm. and and to always um, ascribe a cause and effect that mm-hmm. in my opinion is just BS. Oh, Trump tweeted this. this so therefore, out. and granted, yeah, I'm sure there's always some cause, relative causation to, but it's like, you know, sometimes the market just goes up or down for any damn reason it chooses, right? Yeah. And we always like to assign something to that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I always like to go back to like famous sayings and, you know, Warren Buffett, and this is one of my favorite, um, it's just like in the short run, the market is a voting machine, which just means what are people deciding on a daily basis about how things are valued? But in the long run, it's a weighing machine, meaning it actually weighs the value of companies over the long run. And I think if you look at it as a weighing machine, you don't get worried about the moves in the market on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, or even year-to-year basis. Mm-hmm. Most investors 
aren't investing in the stock market because they need the money next year. They're doing it because this is something for their retirement and for something that's sort of a And long, it's the best yeah. long-term investment strategy, arguably, even above maybe even real estate or other things, right? Yeah, I mean, real estate's a great thing too. I mean, obviously right. we preach diversification, sure. so real estate is great. I'd say the stock, you know, investing in equities and businesses and right. stocks is great. Long-term. Long-term, yeah, yeah, they're both great things. And if you have more means and you can talk about private equity and other things, but for most everyday Americans, yeah, I think the stock market's a great way to build. It's the only real way to build wealth over time outside of real estate. Interesting. So, and does it mean it's going to be like painless? No, I mean I think that's the big. Um, you know, it's it's a, this is the tenth correction I think in the no sorry it's the thirteenth correction in the last ten years okay. of like more than five percent. December. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, the December sell-off has been the thirteenth correction, and um, and every one of the other thirteen felt just as bad, right? Or right. you could argue that this one feels a little bit worse. That's fine. The point is, is they never feel good when you're in them. Sure. And the and the and the if you read the headlines in each of them, they don't look. The headlines never look good. It's right. always like, oh God, how bad is this going to be? Is this the next bear market? Is this right. the? Right. And you know, inevitably, the, one of them will be the next really bad bear market. The point is, is like. I, you know, I wouldn't bet on any of the, any of them being that way, right? Yeah. Like it's it's generally not a good bet to try to say this is the one, right? Yeah. Because if you did it, if you believe that and you acted on it in the last twelve, you would have made a really bad decision. Right. So how do you hedge? You know, like you're saying, you know, seventy five, eighty percent, it's not going to be, but maybe twenty percent, it is. Like, what do you what do you do? Yeah, I mean, I think this is what any financial professional that's been in the business for a long time would say is, hey, this is why we diversify, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, ultimately, it's very hard to say what any individual should do because that's all going to be based upon, you know, how old they are and what their objectives are. And, you know, are they sure. a short term? Are they trying to buy a house in two years or is this something for retirement? So I have a hard time giving like specific recommendations, but, you know, some form of diversification that's consistent with their goals. And for some people, yeah, you can buy. CDs or bonds or things that are less mm -hmm. less aggressive, mm -hmm. um, but for someone that's younger, you know, the best advice I typically give them is, you know, what you just have to be able to withstand periods of volatility mm -hmm. for that sort of long term um, goal of reaching sort of higher rates of return. But the, there's yeah. a macro advice there as a whole, which is that it's going to vary by individual. Maybe you should talk to somebody who knows about money, right, to help you with planning for you, right? And yes. The right answer. Yeah, I mean, obviously, hey, I'm in the business of giving advice, so I do believe most people should seek some advice. Mm -hmm. However, I do believe that a lot of people can be very successful on their own mm -hmm. um, if they're inclined to pay attention. Um, now, a lot of the successful people that we work with tend to say, hey, I know that I could probably do this on my own, and I agree with them, but they don't want to do this on their own. Right? Yeah. It's yeah. like they want to focus on their passion in life. And they want somebody that's going to be a partner with them. Right. But for them, like, they don't want to pay attention to this. And they want somebody else to do yeah, it for them. Yeah, just take care of this. Yeah. yeah. So they, those tend to be our, our best clients, people that are successful. And, and their focus is on being a great parent or, like, their career and whatever. So um, that's what I, I – mean, it's funny. When I got, you asked me about getting into this business, yeah. I loved, I've always loved financial markets and stocks and investing, right? But what I underestimated, I think, was just, like, Oh, it's actually fun to help people. <laughs> you yeah. know, to take somebody who might be worried about the stuff or not be inclined to naturally to do it, and to say, "Listen, I, you know, my goal in life is to help you be really successful, so that you can live 
that retirement vision, which is corny, but it's true. It's like, hey, my, my goal is to help you, one, create that vision, and two, to be able to make sure you have enough that you can actually execute on it. So right. that's fun for me. I like have you thought that. at all, this is, this is getting a little deep and arguably like political. Yeah, we'll see. It's okay. Which is like, one of the things that's occurred to me as, I know this is sound weird, but like as my means have increased, the level of access to other ways to help my means increase has have been unlocked if that makes any sense like as you get more money you have access to better advice on how to continue to make more money and i feel like it's one thing that i think about taxes and i think about financial planning and i think about lots of things that like the whole rich get rich component yeah one of the things that i would think about a little bit and this is real real big this is two beers talk right but like um Income inequality mm-hmm. and wealth inequality, and how we are at a point where we haven't been since the twenties. Am I doing this math right? Or yeah. close to? As far as the the, in, the wealth inequality, like, what's going to happen from here in a situation where it's like I I don't see a world where that continues forever, right? Because historically there's always a correction. Yeah. Um, but I look at the markets and I go, okay, well, I'm not seeing, you know, we didn't see necessarily the housing crisis coming. Mm-hmm. We probably could have seen the dot-com bubble coming if we really stepped back from it. But right now I look around and I'm like, ah, everything seems to be running fine. Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit. Like, at some point there will be a correction like we talked about. Yeah. What's it going to be? Yeah, obviously the next correction is the, probably the thing that you think it, you know, you didn't foresee, right? <laughs> because you're always looking at the things that caused the previous problems and then you miss the new one. So it's very hard to know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your comment on in- income equality like definitely hits home, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think that that's one of the things that you know it's happened very surprisingly. It's happened very gradually, mm-hmm. right? Very gradually, where like the mm-hmm. owners of capital of businesses have taken a slightly smaller percentage share of profits over time, and when you extrapolate that over sixty years, it's become more meaningful. And I, and I do think that's a problem for society. I think it's even a problem for people that are wealthy because eventually that system does not become sustainable, right? right? So, you know, and not to get too much into politics, but, you know, I am a believer that, you know, we we do want a thriving middle class in this economy and we want to have the middle class to have access and even the lower class to have access to the tools and resources that the very wealthy have. And, you know, which is why... You know, I always tell friends like, "Hey, I'm I'm happy to help anybody. Like, may, they may not become a client, but if you want financial advice, like, hey, if you want advice, I'm I'll, I'll give you an hour and let's figure out what we can do. And for a lot of people, you know, the math is very simple. You have income and you have expenses. In general, your income should be greater than your expenses. <laughs> and if you do that Thank consistently, that, right, right then, and you invest the difference, then you can start to have a better life for yourself, right? Yeah. So the math's not that difficult. Right, um, but. You know, in terms of sorry, going back to your question of like, what is the next major yeah. you know correction or bear market? I mean, frankly, if I knew that answer, yeah, I, I'd be a, I'd be a lot richer than I am today. Or you will be, yeah, I will be, it, right? right? And and I think that you know, there's always going to be charlatans in our business that mm-hmm. claim to know, mm-hmm. and there's going to be there's always hundreds of people writing about the next bear market, mm-hmm. and um, you know, most of them, for the most part, are not. They're only wealthy because they might generate income from people reading their stories, not because they've made money predicting That's corrections. That's a very good point. Right? So, you know, and, and I've always said there's a, you know, there's a hundred, there's hundreds of years of, you know, market history, maybe mm-hmm. not hundreds, let's call it 150 years. And I'm a big believer that 
in the long run, we should bet on human progress. Yeah. Right? Yes. And if there ever is a time when humans stop progressing, okay, maybe we'll think differently. But until then, I believe in science and technology and innovation, yeah. and that's going to continue to drive us forward. And that's why everybody should be long the market in the long run. Yeah. And that people that attempt to do things to predict next year or the next three years, I mean, really is. It's not a science. I mean, yeah. it really, and, and I think it's a bad way to go about making investment decisions. Right? So let me throw another curveball yeah. at you because I think this is an interesting. I'm just getting real deep now. That's fine. Two beers deep. Two Sounds beers good. Deep. <laughs> about to crack that The number one total, so if you think about uh, the most number of men uh, employed in a single industry in the U.S. is truck drivers. And the most women employed in single industry is cashiers. Um, Tesla is about to make the former moot by making self-driving trucks, and we're sitting surrounded by Amazon, who's about mm -hmm. to make the latter yeah. moot. What happens in a world ten years from now when the lower to middle income, sort of what could create the remainder? I mean, you could argue that all of manufacturing has moved overseas, right? So the yeah. typical kind of historical middle income families. Um, that's really gone away, and now the remainder of that will effectively be moot from technology and AI. Like, and this is a lot to ask you. Yeah. I'm just saying you're money guy, so yeah. I'm gonna ask you. I have opinions on this topic. Like, go. Like, Which what is, does the world look like? Yeah, I mean, there's no question. There's going to be a lot of jobs lost to technology, and there have been a lot of jobs lost to technology. The good news is, the one, there's a lot of new jobs created because of technology. Yeah. Now, granted, yeah. the skill set of the people that lost the jobs versus the skills needed in the new jobs is very different. Yeah. Which is my, my, my only political statement here would be to say we need to do a lot better job of educating people that are losing jobs and to give them a, a reasonable standard of living, or not reasonable, just to give them a basic standard of living until mm -hmm. we get them in the jobs of the future. I think that becomes a really important part of the political discussion in the next mm -hmm. 50 years. Mm -hmm. I work in a business or even in a financial business where our CEO has basically said in the next 10 years we're going to lose 20 to 30% of our jobs to because technology. Why? Technology because replacing people. I mean largely smarter so analysts. Yeah, analysts, jobs. smarter systems and, you know, maybe certain administrative and may, who knows, maybe even salespeople. and mm -hmm. so um, I think we all have to go in knowing that like the jobs of the future are going to be different than the jobs of the past. Mm -hmm. You know, economists have spent t a lot of time on this and you've probably heard of the universal basic income, mm -hmm. which I think you know, five, ten years ago, like nobody maybe would have talked about that. But now, like more and more serious economies and even governments are starting to look at that. I think that some level of a guaranteed basic income will absolutely happen. I think so? it'll happen. Like definitively. Def I do think it will because it, it all depends on how many jobs are lost to technology, right? Yeah. But eventually there's a point at which, you know, the, the wealth that's created from the new economy. Yeah. And just how efficient we are, and and you know, we'll, we actually will have achieved certain levels of wealth that we, we standards of living are going up globally. Right. People forget about this, right. but there's a huge amount of people in the middle class in 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 China and in, in other parts of Asia and even in Africa eventually that are going to join the middle class. Yeah, and um, that's a good thing. And sometimes that's underreported. Granted, there's lots of other issues in a lot of places in the world, and there's still lots of poverty. But people, like, I think, I forget the number, but something like a billion people have been brought out of poverty in the last 10 years or so. Anyway, it's a big number. The point, um, the point though, is, is that, you know, with this new economy, with this new wealth, we're going to have to, like, the way that people think about jobs and the way that we take care of people that don't have 
you know, the best new job. It might have been in the old economy. We're going to have to do a better job of thinking about how do we take care of those people while also creating the right incentives so that they don't just stay where they are, right? Mm-hmm. You need incentives for them to get out and work mm-hmm. and to learn new skills without, um, you know, without making them, you know, again, we I, listen, I mean, I'm, I think as you are and a lot of people that I know, like we don't like the thought of the fact that there's people and especially kids that don't, can't eat and don't have lunch for schools and they, you know, right. so, right. and don't have, you know, they don't have all the advantages that our kids have. So I do think there needs to be something done to make sure that we take care of those people. But, but conversely, that system also has can't just enable people to be lazy. I mean, yes. and and to to be able to the, one of the big problems I think in society is we feel like we we I don't feel like we're having that discussion in a smart way. Yeah, you either have to be on one like you're either on one side of that issue where it's everybody in that boat is lazy, yeah. or you're, you're on the side of, no, we need to give everyone not enough money so that their ki- kids are in great shape. And yeah. in reality, it's like, we need to do both. Yeah. We need to, you know, and, and I feel like one of the problems with like the political discourse that we have so frequently is um, people aren't talking to each other like about the real issue and the fact that there's, there's a place for both of those arguments and there's a solution there that involves both sides. Like, having a real discussion yes. and that would be required yes I, i've had this discussion with them family or friends where it's yeah. like it's either um how do i say this right way in america sometimes there's a perception that if you're not successful it's because you didn't work hard enough and mm-hmm. that is just fundamentally illogical to a certain degree that like guys like you and i are you know yes we didn't necessarily come from you know wealthy wealthy households but we are Charming, personable white males. And yeah, and we, we had a support system. We had two parents that yes. kept us in line, and we and went we to, college. to college. Yeah. And we were able yeah. to, and then we got in the door because yeah. we, you know, of, of great companies because yeah. of those opportunities, and those yeah. opportunities sort of spiral yeah. on themselves and, and spin off success. And so you could be, you know, an, uh, a woman who isn't necessarily getting all the opportunities, maybe as a person of color, and not necessarily yeah. getting the door, not getting the opportunities, doesn't have, you know, both parents, et cetera, et cetera, and. So you just can't assume that everyone will have the same level of opportunities. So you're right that like the idea of guaranteed minimum income when I talk to somebody who's pretty conservative is just like horrifying. How could we ever concept. do that? Yeah. Right. But most of those people who are very conservative generally are wealthy, older, white males <laughs> yeah. who don't understand the fact that they were given so many things that it's the whole idea of like being born on third base and yeah. uh, triple yeah. like, and not really understanding that. So, But you're right that the middle ground is like how do we give people at least a basis of – you're never gonna be starving because we can take care of you. Like it, yeah. But and then maybe that eases the pressure and eases the mental concern to such a degree that now I have the time to go learn a skill, learn a trade. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe you've maybe on some level you if hey in order to continue to get this you have to learn new skills. Yeah. And you have you know like yes. there's you put the carrot out there to you know and and a little bit of a little bit of carrot and a little bit of stick mm-hmm. you know a little bit of both makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey, granted, I mean. The point is, is like I just feel like on a broad level, these discussions aren't happening. <laughs> I, agree. I agree. I feel like it's like you know? Silicon Valley's looking at it, and you've got a bunch of billionaires yeah. throwing money around. Yeah. But like that's not necessarily the right incubator mm-hmm. for the world. I mean, especially yeah. the world of like San Francisco. You know, I read an article on Wired the other day, and I'm down there a lot for work, so this is in my head. It, you know, it's a caste system of like the top tier is VC guys and CEOs. Mm-hmm. The second tier is the guys who work at their tech companies. Yeah. The third tier are like Uber drivers and you know delivery people. And the fourth tier are homeless people. And yeah. that's, you can't move up. You can definitely move down. And yeah. that's like how their world works. And I worry that if you fast forward the movie, like that's the world we're moving toward. 
if we don't find another way. But then the flip side goes, everybody was like, what am I going to do? Because I shoe horses and I see these cars coming. Yeah. You know? And then we figured it out. Yeah. Right? So maybe just it's our um, time horizon. And there's no question technology is going to advance and it's absolutely going to displace jobs. Now, there's some people that believe, hey, you know, we'll deal with that when it comes to us. And to some extent, that's true. Like, it's amazing how humans can adapt when things actually happen. But some amount of planning, I think, is actually important. Just to be, you know. And, um, yeah, I think so. I do think that basic income is going to be a bigger, bigger topic. Do you want to talk about Trump? Yeah, right. sure. So speaking of... Can't avoid it. Right? Speaking <laughs> of not necessarily doing the right thing, you know, we're two years in now. We've got a Democratic House that took, mm-hmm. took the oath today, right? Um, I don't know, man. Where do you want to start? Like... This is, uh, uh, what is what is the, you know, let me, let me say this differently. Yeah. When I was a kid, Ronald Reagan was a superhero. Mm-hmm. He was the president, capital T, capital P, and he was the best person that ever lived, and he was the icon of manhood and success and what have you, right? He was the president. And pretty much every president since, even retroactively, you look at a guy like George W. Bush, who at the time we were like, oh, this guy's a moron, and you're yeah. like, god damn, I would have him back in a second, <laughs> yeah. right, at this point. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a very specific question that we can maybe even back out mm-hmm. from there. Should the Democrats work to impeach Donald Trump? Um, so I'm a big believer that one of the great beauties of our country is that we have peaceful changeovers of power every four years. Okay. And, and maybe long, or every two years, right? I mean, in Congress or, you know, dep- the right. point is, is it's a peaceful election, there's transition of power, and in a lot of places of the world, that just doesn't happen. That's true. So that's a beauty of our country. To me, the best way to get rid of somebody in power who is not doing a great job or who shouldn't be there is to do it through the normal course of a new election cycle and letting the will of the voters make a good decision. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of impeachment, if it is found, I'm a big believer that like, you know, I believe in innocent until proven guilty. I think that's an important part. Sure. And I have, even amongst my liberal friends, I, sometimes I'm the one that they're like, Sean, you're stupid. All these things happen. And it's like, well, until I see it, yep. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And granted, do I believe that maybe there's a lot of shady things that happened? Sure. Probably. Sure. But I want, you know, there's a reason we have an investigation. Yeah, you prove it. And, and I believe that one of the reasons are, and obviously it being in the world of finance and economics, like one of the great things about our country is we have rule of law. Yeah. Right? We have institutions that we have checks and balances. Mm-hmm. And we let the we let things play out and we let the truth speak for itself, mm-hmm. right? Over time. Mm-hmm. Again, in the short run, yeah, a politician can lie, but in the long run, evidence and facts do get in the way of lies. Yeah. And I know that's one of the big fears with Trump is, is that it seems like he can lie with impunity. But I do believe that over time things that are untruthful will come out and, yeah. and will be will matter. So in terms of impeachment, if the facts show that there's impeachable offenses, then yeah, we should, the Democrats, not we, the Democrats and all of Congress should pursue an impeachment. Mm-hmm. In the absence of that, or if, if there's a gray area where it's sort of unknown, yeah. I would say that they shouldn't and they should let the will of the voters you know, make the decision of whether or not they want this guy in office. Yeah. And I know how I'm going to vote. Yeah. But um, I think, again, I try to look at this long term and to say, what sort of precedents are you setting? Um, do we want every president to be impeached for stupid things? Mm-hmm. No, you don't. You only want it to be for things that are real, meaningful, you know, violations of the law. Yeah. And, and until I know what those, until we know the facts, 
I personally would say it's a bad decision to jump the gun on any of those things. I think that's fair. Yeah. So, and again, I always try to have a longer term view of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And as much as I might think that he's not a very, you know, he's certainly not a, he's certainly not the stable genius that he is. Because I'm a big believer in stability. Like in my career, like having a stable government is really important above all else. And sure. he's the least stable presidential well, leader you, in history. You mentioned this in passing your yeah. emails that like, yeah. Government fluctuations may cause chaos or, yeah. or or concern, but in reality, to your point, like you know, the, the, eventually the mean will out, right, and you will get back to. Yeah, I mean, I've always said that presidents get way too much blame or way too much credit on the economy, there you go. right? But what I've what I've noticed, you know, in the last year, and I have to recognize, which is, it doesn't mean that they can't impact it a lot, and they can't impact certainly getting impacted in the short run. And one of the reasons why I think we've seen this volatility recently is. You know, there's been so much instability in the in the administration, just in terms of cabinet and changeover. That there's a lot of like market participants that look at it and say, "It's like who's in charge here? Where are the checks and balances?" Uh, and some of the people that were perceived to be the more sane people of the administration, a lot of them are gone. Yeah, they're gone. You know, Gary Cohen and Mattis, Mattis and yeah. you know, like people that were sort of, "Hey, these are people that were successful people in their lives prior to this." Right. They're all leaving, and they're not saying very nice things necessarily. Right. So th- there's a question of like who's really in charge and I think that's bad for markets if you're a CEO of a business and you're trying to make decisions about you know you're trying to make long-term investment decisions you need to understand like okay well what's the regime that we're in mm-hmm. you know are we in this big tariff regime or in a no tariff regime mm-hmm. like that's important to know mm-hmm. and anyone that purports to know that based on what you know Trump's tweet of the day is that's really I mean that's just not accurate so it's real hard um, so that that's the reason why as a, as a financial person um, I get I get concerned whenever it seems like there's a, an unstable person in charge. Yeah. Um, and so the, when the sane when this when I see sanity, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And when it seems like things are going off the rails, and that that's one of the things that would get that does get me worried. One of the things I worry about on that too, and I, I totally see your point, is like let's say the Democrats do decide to seek impeachment, mm-hmm. and either do or don't impeach him, or you know, they won't convict, right? Because the Senate is is Republican, mm-hmm. so. Um, the 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 worry is that are we doing long term damage to our political system by to some extent invalidating one of our two parties? This is the part that scares me a little bit. Like as we chip away at the legitimacy of the Republican Party, and a lot of people move more toward the Democratic Party. Do you run into a world where does the Republican Party move even further right, even further more toward a? Let's retrench, let's protect white male money, let's be white supremacists, let's move toward that world because that's where our remaining base is. Yeah. And then what happens to a world where the Democratic Party becomes, you know, so I, I mean maybe this is overly optimistic yeah. of me that this is how humans will think, but like are we are we are we breaking kind of the, the epitome of the, the fundamentals of this weird one of the things I always laugh about is like when America historically has gone in and either by uh, force of military might mm-hmm. or law or what have you, instituted democracy, it generally has been a parliamentary democracy, yeah. historically. Not a, let's arbitrarily create two parties that yeah. are the only two parties. We're the only country that that kind of happens in. And if we fuck that yeah. up, like what happens then? Yeah, I'm an absolute big believer that we need, we don't need a two-party system. I don't want to say it that way. But in the pragmatic world that we live in, 
We need a we need a good strong Republican Party and a good strong Democratic Party yeah. where people are debating policy and yes. they're and they're dealing in facts. And where there's gray areas, yes, people can fight for opinions and and where we should head, and you know, because but I'm just to believe that the world is far more nuanced, and I do worry that you know, like I, you know, I I have a scientific mind. The way that my mind works is, hey, we should test things, and if they work well, then we should do more of them, you know. Yeah. And it may not work so well; we should do less of that. Right. And in some places, something that we test might work better, and you might test it somewhere else, and it doesn't work as good. Yeah. So I recognize that, like, there's very little black or white in the world, especially when you're dealing with the economy or social policy or you know a- anything related to you know international relations and warfare. Like, there's almost always a, a parallel you can draw. Um, or an example that would negate anything that you're trying to do, right? So my, my only point is to saying we, I, one of the worries that I have about the current state of the Republican Party is I do think there's, certain, there, there's been a certain um, disassociation from facts and, and a differentiation between fact and opinion that worries me. Yeah. Um, my theory is always like, okay, if we're going to debate an issue, let's get all the things that we know about this. Let's understand the issue first of all. Let's understand if you ever took a debate, you know, well, if you're a debate team. Debate nerd yeah. in high school. So you need to understand your you need to understand your story and what you believe, but you need yeah. to understand the other side even better than yours. It was one of the things I was right? talking about is I know far too much about the impeachment process because <laughs> they had to argue both sides during yeah. the Clinton administration. Yeah. Because you never knew which side you'd be called on to, to talk to. People today don't know the other side of the issue. They're not asked to. to, it's the, to this is the echo chamber. Right? This is the, one of the big fears of the internet and mm-hmm. what people watch on the news, mm-hmm. which, I mean, most of these news stations now aren't news. They're opinion channels. I agree. And they shouldn't be called news. We should have a, you know, and um, there should be some differentiation between what is news and fact and what isn't. I've and always right said if now, I had all the money in the world, I would hire Tom Hanks, who's the one person everyone trusts. Yeah. To read entirely unbiased, specific, detailed information about what happened. Today. Yeah, and just and, and not them, express his opinion about what it means or where it's going. Good evening, or, I'm yeah. Tom Hanks. Yeah. this is what happened in America today, and that's it. Yeah, because I mean, I I always go back to me. I always go back to the scientific method. One of the reasons why I think humans as a species have been so successful is because we have ideas, we test them, and what we learn from those tests takes us in a slightly better direction than where we were before. Yeah. That should apply to technology and scientifics and, and, and business. It should also apply to the real world and the economy and social things. I really things. want to get into this with you. So this is one we'll save. Yeah. But like at some point, I want to have a conversation with you about why. Well, we can figure out how to do this because like we have some friends who believe in a lot of conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I want to have kind of a panel discussion about yeah. that, about why. I am not a conspiracy theory I know you're not whatsoever. Because I know the way your brain yeah. works. But we have some friends, I won't name names yeah. on this, that believe that the moon landing. Yeah. So I was, like yeah. One of those was the moon landing. I'm yeah. like, you know there were six, right? Yeah. There wasn't just one. And but China just went there three days they ago. Went on the back <laughs> yeah. like they're gonna, they yeah. probably saw some of our crap yeah. as they came around the outside. But like this idea that if I feel that yeah. something is true, that that's a that's a that's a uh, for some reason we have to validate or, yeah. or allow that feeling that like I think the Earth might be flat like no it, it isn't. isn't like <laughs> yeah. pretty like, clear about that. there's a level yeah. like that we're heading the wrong way on this on like we're allowing non scientific thinking to become to get a foothold yeah right in a way that it didn't twenty years ago or thirty yeah. years ago right that like I feel or I saw on the internet or I saw on YouTube and therefore and like 
there's a echo chamber on that side. Yeah, it's like I learned about global warming 30 years ago, or you know, and it's like, wait, we haven't like less people believe in it now than they did then. Like, what's going on here? Like, because how we feel? Yeah, things exactly. on the internet or written things, and somehow everything is perceived as equal because yeah. I saw it on the internet or I saw it on a video. Yeah. Anyway, that's an entirely different conversation. Ah, uh, Sean. Okay. I don't know that we solved anything tonight. Just about two thirds of the world's problems. <laughs> All right, we'll call it good there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Buddy. That was good. If this podcast has any legs, let's do it again. <laughs>